0: Hi, this is presenter Kato Halloran and this is the podcast of Kick Like a Girl, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R during the AFLW season. Kick Like a Girl dissects the week in AFLW with stars and fans of the game and focuses not just on the action on field but the politics off it. We hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Kick Like a Girl's Facebook page, Twitter or website.
1: You are listening to 3 R. It's time for Kick Like a Girl, your weekly AFLW radio show. Uh, and it's a weird week in a lot of ways, uh, but it's a weird week for AFLW and for AFL, um, for the men's competition as well. So you're in the right place and do stay tuned with us. So my name's Tess Lolly and I'm here just anchoring uh, as uh, Kate O'Halloran actually joins us on the phone. Kate, thank you and welcome to your own radio show. This is totally weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's really strange, but it's, I mean, we're, I mean we, we wish you well and we hope you're, you're, you're keeping well at home, but I mean, we, we all have to be a little bit more vigilant here to make sure that we can keep making really good radio uh, throughout this time.
2: Indeed, and you sound much more professional than I do
1: now, so I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we've lost our edge. Um, Kate, do you want to <laughs> tell us a little bit about what uh, we are hearing today?
2: Yes, so as much as possible, even though it's quite an exceptional week, we'll try and have a fairly familiar structure. So we're going to go through all of the weekend's action. Uh, we'll do a special 3 2, one voting on the best players from the first week of finals. It won't go towards our Aaron Phillips Appreciation Award, which is our season-long best and fairest, but I will announce the winner of that uh, towards the end of the show, and um, Emily and Gemma were kind enough to send in their 321s also, so they're sort of here in spirit. (laughs) Um, Then we're going to go into this week's main interview. Uh, We'll probably explain it in a bit more depth later, but I had um, lucky enough to pre-record with Brooke Patterson, who's the Melbourne AFLW development coach, and she's also a PhD at La Trobe specialising in ACLs. Uh, we had Melissa Haberfield, the North Melbourne physio and Ellie Harding who works in Inner North physiotherapy so they talked to, um, to us about all things health and AFLW, I was in the studio with Gemma Bastiani, seems like a lifetime ago now but mm. <laughs> that's what we'll be listening to um, and then we had a very short uh, post-match interview with Ali Gavallis from North Melbourne obviously that might be a bit strange to listen to now because at that point she still thought she was playing the week after but thanks to Emily Fox for doing that. Um, and,
1: I, and, we'll, yeah. and I guess, be, you know, before we sort of get into all of this content that we have on today's show, I mean, you mm-hmm. mentioned it just then, we no longer have an AFLW competition.
2: Yes, you're right. I probably should, should have made that explicit. I guess I just assumed that everyone was on the same page, but it was such a um, chaotic, extraordinary announcement. Um, the AFL just moved really quickly as soon as, Scott Morrison announced uh, the end for all non-essential travel and also uh, the state started closing their borders, including WA. So it was just became logistically impossible to run the season from here on out. And obviously we'll get into later on in Smash the Patriarchy, talk a bit about what the other options might have been, but the reality is it's been cancelled. So no Premier, no more games. That's
1: and it. I'm sure there are plenty of uh, listeners who feel as I do, which is, you know... Calling footy non-essential seems pretty rough.
2: <laughs> I know it's like you're talking about the cultural imaginary of Australia, the yeah. cultural <laughs> fabric. I
1: do think it's integral to that. <laughs> yeah, define non essential because exactly, i 'cause I'm I'm not I'm confused. Um so let's talk about the weekend just gone and um the last round of AFLW for twenty twenty. Um yeah. starting off with a close game between North Melbourne and Collingwood, only a two point wing uh to the Ruse. Tell us about that game, Gabe. I
2: thought this was a cracking game actually. I thought it was the game of the round and well now it's you know, could be the game of the season now that it's done. Um just thought the skills were excellent, Uh, the short passing, disposal efficiency, just the flow of the game was uh, fantastic from both sides, thrilling finish obviously, Um, I loved Ali Gavellas kicking that excellent goal on (laughs) the three quarter time siren to put the Roos in front, Uh, you'll hear her later in a post-match interview but she said it was right on her uh, you know, distance. Mm. Um, so, but you know, she just backed herself in and kicked an excellent goal. Um, Sophie Abitangelo as well had a had a very um, sharp angle and kicked this really laid back, carefree snap in the last quarter that ended up winning the game uh, for the Roos. Just seemed like she didn't even think she was going to kick it. So. Um, and Jazzy Dana, of course, fitting into the game with a contested grab right on the siren. She's had such an excellent uh, season. And But, yeah, the Magpies weren't disgraced. Brie Davy had 22 disposals. Britt Benici was huge, had 25 inside 50s. Nine handball receives. Just worked so hard. Went off with a concussion, actually, towards the end of the match. And I thought you really noticed her absence.
1: I personally... Um, uh couldn't bring myself to watch this game as I haven't been able to watch a Collingwood game all season because I'm a Carlton supporter and seeing Brie Davy in <laughs> Collingwood colours is just far too much for me. Um, but they, I mean, at the at the time of at the time of playing the the game, it felt like oh, they've sort of just missed out on um, the next round of finals.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, Collingwood could have easily won this one. Chloe Malloy had a shot not far out from the siren. It was probably a bit beyond her range, but easily, easily could have got got over the top for a big upset.
1: Mm. But there was a big upset this uh, weekend, uh, which was um, another close game between Melbourne and GWS. Melbourne were Mm -hmm. down by, I think, 14 points at halftime and Mm -hmm. turned it around uh, to win by three.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, look, this was hard to tip probably because even though GWS finished above Melbourne in their... Well, they were in Conference A, Melbourne were in B, but... um, you know, you would have probably backed the Giants at home despite Melbourne having quite a good season. I thought this was a really heartbreaking loss for GWS. They really had the game in the bag with minutes to go, but Sarah Perkins kicked an awesome goal just to give the Ds a sniff with a couple of minutes to go. And then Lily Miffen took that mark and backed herself in. She hadn't kicked a goal before this game. <laughs> and then yeah. uh, kicked two in the semi-final to put her Ds at that point into a prelim anyway. Uh, there's actually a great video of the Melbourne men's team watching on and cheering, which I really enjoyed as yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. Uh, that was lovely, actually, to see them all, you know, getting behind them. Um, but yeah, real heartbreaker for GWS. Pepper Randall and Aaron McKinnon were in tears after the game. I wondered if we were going to see some more retirements. Um, stay tuned mm. on that one. Um, yeah, big, big, uh, big upset over there in Sydney.
1: Um, and uh, then on Saturday night, uh, we saw Fremantle pretty much just obliterate uh, Gold Coast Suns. Um, they, you know, shot right out in front and um, won twelve eight eighty to one four ten. What exactly happened in this game, Kate?
2: Oh, well, look, I just think it's been such an impressive season from the Suns, uh, you know, full kudos to them making a final. But, you know, they were just outclassed. They were no match for free. It didn't help that they lost Tiana Ernst and Jasmine Hewitt to concussion throughout the game. But they just had no answers, particularly for Kiara Bowers, who just continued her brilliant season with another 22
1: disposals and a lazy 14 tackles. Oh, <laughs> um, it- Very relaxed, yeah. Really chill
2: game Well it's really run of the mill there at the moment It's unbelievable (laughs) Ebony and Tony I had 20 disposals in one goal And and her partner Cara had 19 disposals Seven marks thought they were both brilliant as well Um, And Roxy Roo What an exciting player she is I thought she took a mark of the year contender um, Gemma Bastiani, who's been on the show a couple, a couple of times, told me I had to talk about her outrageous muck. Uh, <laughs> so she, said, she said, "Please mention it." She was three deep, protected, by protected the ball, kicked the goal. It was just so good. So, there you go, Gemma. I've got your shout out to Roxy Roo. Um, <laughs>
1: um, Frio looked like they looked; they were absolutely dangerous in that game. They were just completely dominating. Um, if they, I mean, were they maybe going to? take out the premiership if we were going to have one
2: no I think that's a question that's probably on everyone's minds at the moment um I I was tipping north actually going into the final series but after the way they demolished Gold Coast I just thought mm, yeah <laughs> they just look so impressive so yeah. look, I think we'll talk about it later but they probably feel the most aggrieved I think from no no premiership
1: and the final game for the weekend um, and the final game for the season, as we know now, was um, mm. won by Carlton by twenty nine points over brisbane, who were were in there and really competitive for sort of the first quarter and into the second um, and then they just sort of couldn't couldn 't quite maintain that that um push yeah, so
2: yeah it was, it was a bit of a strange game because by about the third quarter, I think everyone knew that um, The game was going to be the last of the season. I'm not sure the players did, though. Um, But, yeah, look, uh, Maddie Pistarcus was just outstanding again, but actually pulled up with an injury in the third quarter. Who knows if she would have played the next week,
1: actually. truly terrifying uh, moment for all Carlton supporters, (laughs) I can report.
2: Yeah, well, you would have been terrified when she was uh, also robbed of a goal. (laughs) (laughs)
1: We're we're used to the terror um, Carlton supporters in in the last 20 20 years of our club
2: Yeah, well that's true But it was so far from being touched I just thought another very good highlight of the fact that we need to have the goal review Mm. uh, implemented for the women's game as well um, I'll be quick, so now we have to move on. But um, Taylor Harris actually was also a reporter for a sling tackle on Emily Bates, so <laughs> that would have had Tara running through uh, the Blues camp as well if if they had have been playing next week. Mm.
1: Um, uh, and we'll uh, we'll um walk we'll walk through a little bit later your sort of votes for the rest of the uh, votes for the round and um your thinks on your thinking. Oh no, we'll do that right now, won't we? <laughs> oh, yeah, my not? mistake. So take us through your votes for uh, the last round, Kate.
2: Yeah, so look, um, we did vote on the first of finals. As I said, we're not going to include this in a season award, but I thought it would just be a bit of fun anyway. Um, I gave three to Kiara Bowers from Fremantle, just thought 22 disposals, 18 kicks, and as we said, a lazy 14 tackles probably deserved it. Yep. Um <laughs> Lily missed and I gave two from Melbourne. Just thought she stood up when it counted, you know, what a game to pick to kick not just your first goal but your first two. Uh and then I gave one to someone who I think's been incredibly improved in the last few weeks. Brooke from Collingwood, twenty disposals, five inside fifties, nine handball receives. As I said, went off with concussion. You really noticed her absence.
1: Um, We've got uh, votes from uh, Emily and Gemma here as well. So I'll read um, Emily's votes here. Um, Mm -hmm. Unsurprising um, from Melbourne, Fremantle um, and Rue. So three votes goes to Daisy Pearce from Melbourne, um, who really controlled uh, the game and was leading by example, which is very, very much um, a Daisy Pearce thing to do. Two votes to Gabby O'Sullivan from Fremantle, Fremantle. a uh, recognition of an of an all round great effort um, across half forward, uh, got on the scoreboard twice and seventeen touches uh, while dominating um, Gold Coast in that game. And one vote to Ash Riddle uh, from North Melbourne, who uh, stood up with Bruton and Garner um, uh, and twenty two position twenty two possessions um, and constant inside work um, and running and carry.
2: Yes, yeah, so we continued our tradition of giving uh, none of the same votes.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, you've got to have some healthy debate in these things.
2: No, no, it's true, it's true. All those players played very well. Uh, so then I asked Emma Bastiani as well. She gave three uh, to Lily Mithin, who I gave two. She gave two to Sabrina Duffy. Um, she took off a pretty heavy knock to kick her three goals And a comprehensive win for Freo Just another bag for her uh, And she gave one to Jazzy Garner She's pretty biased She thinks Jazzy Garner's the best player in the competition And I thought she was a bit unusually quiet But her justification was that her battle with Bree Davy was fascinating And she was able to make the most of her disposals 12 kicks really helped drive the ruse forward
1: and so then, Kate, tell us about uh, the votes for the Home and Away Best and fairest here um, on Kick Like a Girl.
2: Yeah, so our annual Erin Phillips Appreciation Award. I know it's a bit anticlimactic with the season ending the way it did, but we'll still get excited. Uh, To build a bit of suspense, I'll give you our runner-up first.
1: uh, Drumroll, please. Yes.
2: Oh, yep. Um, Gemma will be very disappointed because the runner-up was Jazzy Garner from North Melbourne. (laughs) I think she'll blame me for that because I didn't give her enough votes. Um, (laughs) But uh, I'm proud to announce. That Kick Like the Girl's Aaron Phillips
1: Appreciation Award for 2020 goes for Kiara Bowers. From yes, Samantha. hooray. <laughs> um, overwhelming applause from um, our uh, disparate studios <laughs> that we are hosting <laughs> from today. Um, well, thank you very much, uh Kate, you are listening to Kick Like a Girl here on 3RRR, and we have Kate O'Halloran calling in uh, from home. And my name's Tess Lawley, and I'm just anchoring, pressing the buttons and keeping the ship uh, steady uh, in the studio. Um, and I think, uh, as with a few of the audio clips um, that we'll hear on today's show, things have moved so quickly um, in our community and, and, you know, in our society broadly, but particularly with the League, um, that a lot of the interviews and, uh, and, and some of the things that, that have been recorded weeks ago or even days ago were uh, recorded in a completely different context. Um, so Kate, tell us a bit about uh, the interview we're hearing today.
2: Yeah, so um, just to be clear, like, yeah, I did this interview uh, in the lead-up to what ended up being the final round of the season. So along North Melbourne, were playing playing uh, an endometriosis awareness game. So I thought it was a really good chance, actually, to get in the experts and chat all things, uh, women's health and footy. So particularly, there's been some reporting around things like Chelsea in England, basing their training routines around women's cycles. And, you know, then there was talk of a hypothetical link to ACL injuries, which I thought was somewhat irresponsible so in this chat we're going to cover um just endometriosis generally why it's an issue for so many women do asrw players get endometriosis mel and ellie are going to talk through how north melbourne screen their players for symptoms um what does public physio do in this instance (laughs) excuse me you can hear my cough and why i had to stay home um what level of understanding is there in asrw around things like cycles and impact on performance um and then we're going to finish off with uh, ACLs and what we know about the modifiable factors, so non-biological impacts on rates of ACLs. So just to quickly reiterate, our guests are Melissa Haberfield, who's the North Melbourne Football Club physio, uh, Ellie Harding, <coughs> excuse me, from Inner North Physiotherapy. Uh, they were both in the studio with Jim and Bastiani and myself, and Brooke Patterson, who's the Melbourne Footy Club development coach, and a Latrobe PhD over the phone. So it should be very comprehensive and
1: informative. You are listening to Kick Like a Girl here on 3Triple R.
0: You're on Kick Like a Girl on Triple R AFLW radio and this is our special health edition with a whole panel of experts as well as co-host Gemma. Welcome Gemma.
3: I'm not an expert.
0: <laughs> no, you're anything but. <laughs> no. no, I'm kidding. But you're here. I am here. Uh Should I let the other three experts introduce themselves? I think we've got Brooke Patterson on the phone.
2: Hi,
4: everyone. Um, Yes, so I'm a physio by trade. I'm doing a PhD at La Trobe University in ACL injuries, an uh, ex-Melbourne AFLW player and now turned uh, development coach.
5: right bit of an expert there I'd say (laughs) (laughs) myself I am not an expert I'm Mel Um, I'm the AFLW physio at North Melbourne or one of two AFLW physios at the club I'm obviously a physio by trade uh, and I help Brooke
6: out with a few research things but mainly clinical based great Cool. And my name is Ali Harding. Um, I'm bringing the pelvic health side of things to the chat today. So I am a pelvic health physiotherapist and work at my private practice in Thornbury. Excellent. Thank you so much for
0: joining us. We've got a great panel, I guess. Yeah. And a Melbourne AFLW fan. Uh, yeah. Big, big fan.
3: <laughs>
5: hey, <laughs> North Melbourne. <laughs> Melbourne.
3: <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
5: (laughs)
0: Uh, Okay, so I guess I wanted to start with, uh, in round six, we had a uh, Geelong-North Melbourne game that was dedicated to raising awareness around endometriosis. So the game day partners were Talking Endo, a support group for sufferers of endometriosis, but also adenomyosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome and persistent pelvic pain. So I guess I just wanted to throw this one out to all of you, really. But how important do you think it is to raise awareness about this issue? And is it something that we're talking about enough?
6: Yeah, thanks, Kate. So um, this is a hugely important issue. And uh, March is actually Endometriosis Awareness Month, so very topical at the moment. Um, I think this is a great initiative by the AFLW to get conversations like this happening. Uh, We know that one in 10 women will experience endometriosis specifically at some point during their life. So um, that's huge numbers across Australia. We're talking about greater than 830,000 people. So Mm. definitely worth talking about. And this doesn't exclude the elite sporting population. So it's good to be bringing it into that realm. You've really brought your stats, haven't you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds a bit pre-prepared to me. (laughs) Um, Well, actually, yeah, I mean, it doesn't exclude the elite athlete population. And I guess, you know, obviously I don't expect you to name names, but are any of you aware of players who might be dealing with something like persistent pelvic pain, endometriosis or other related conditions?
5: Yeah, look, from um, my experience working at an AFLW club, we don't have anyone specifically diagnosed with endo, but we're definitely dealing with some of our players who report symptoms. Um, and we actually thought it was a uh, big enough Uh, issue to be aware of that this season we decided to screen all our players uh, for pelvic health um, and we actually got Ali on board with this process and um, we developed a couple of questionnaires um, and we also got Ali down into the club and actually screened players who we identified who needed further uh, input from a women's health specialist. So yeah I don't think uh, putting the endometriosis label on any of our players but we're definitely dealing with symptoms of pain pelvic pain pelvic incontinence and things like that and I'm sure that is throughout the whole league not just at our club but I can only
6: speak to our club Mm. Yeah. So from that screening, we did um, review five of the players out of 30, which is approximately 16%. And again, that's not looking just at endo, as Mel mentioned. This was um, pelvic health related concerns. So pain um, with high level activity, but incontinence of both bladder and bowel or urine and faeces as well. So fairly debilitating and impacting symptoms on these people.
5: Mm. Yeah. And from us, we just wanted to open the conversation with our athletes because they're humans and they're women and we wanted to treat them as a whole person and make it something that they felt comfortable to report to the medical team. Mm. Um, so that was a big push from from my perspective of why we wanted to do it mm. um, and it was really great, I thought. Um, mm. The players, yeah, were open to it, were comfortable to talk about it and I think it takes us, yeah, to the next level and hopefully all the clubs start doing this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm.
3: what sort of unique challenges do you think those sort of symptoms have for athletes but particularly aflw players where it is such a demanding sport on your body like what sort of differences do you see in post-match and that sort of stuff for players with those issues
5: yeah i think it's hard to really um say oh this player is having this symptom or this issue because of um their pelvic health issues but definitely like we monitor things like fatigue we monitor wellness all of those sort of things which I'm sure is happening across all the clubs and for me as an AFLW physio it's about knowing the players um, and knowing my athletes well and really knowing when they're not they're off a little bit off Mm -hmm. um, and then adjusting to that Um, so for me that's the most important Um, and we just try and refer them on to a specialist if they're needed yep. um, or, yeah, we we are aware of our own scope and, and refer on if needed and that's where someone like Ali is awesome. Yeah.
3: So effectively the we, we, we'll touch on the Ch- Chelsea training and that sort of stuff and their patterns and their conscious efforts to change training based on menstrual cycles and things like that. But you're effectively already doing some kind of concerted changes based on that sort of stuff as well right just on the fly
5: i think in all elite sport that is already happening that Mm. is not a new thing wellness is measured already in men and women Um, fatigue and sleep are measured already and what we're really talking about is the symptoms Mm. um yeah we can't change that women have a period or um or if they've got endometriosis we can't change that so it's about what can we do to make it work and how do we best treat our athletes? Um, and, yeah, obviously the AFLW, it's a part-time program, so there are extra challenges involved. But, yeah, we we do our best to make it work. Um, yeah, but I wouldn't say it's anything groundbreaking. Um,
0: you might all have a perspective on this, Brooke. I'm conscious you're on the phone too, so <laughs> feel free to butt in whenever you want. But, um that screening process sounds like it would be really critical because the issues that you're talking about aren't easy ones for people to come forward about and maybe seek treatment for maybe even particularly if they're an athlete because you know you might not expect that that's something that they're dealing with have you found that yeah players say might be less reluctant to come forward unless you do approach them with that proactive screening
5: I would say that's pretty normal for any elite athlete. (laughs) The athletes don't like talking to the physios about their issues because they don't (laughs) want to be taken away from the game. So I don't think that's unusual either uh, for women or men. Um, For me, yeah, I took it on as my responsibility and our other physio, Marie, we we wanted to be proactive. We wanted to create a safe space for our athletes um, because I don't think – they would come and talk to us about it necessarily. Mm. Um, I don't know the experience of other clubs, but again, the athlete, we have to do that around normal injury. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think, again, it's um, anything unusual in the elite space. It's just creating a safe space mm. for your athletes yeah. and knowing
6: your athletes. Mm. And as you mentioned, Kate, it is a quite a personal thing for people to be talking about. So um, this is where, on a club-based level, it's really amazing to have these relationships and have the exposure to these kind of issues because really commonly people will be suffering in silence, so to speak, because mm. um, yeah. it's a difficult thing to bring up in any context, but particularly elite sport, mm. yeah.
0: Is that your experience, Brooke?
4: Yeah, there's like there's going to be people that, yeah, won't want to say things and then there's your over reporters as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> I was probably one of the over reporters. <laughs> <laughs> um maybe Bert, she's a physio as well. She's she's the same. Um, we're all we're all um, born in the same way, I think, yeah, but um no I totally agree the more like yeah the endometriosis round like the alley coming to the clubs um like more informational resources and just chatting is like all going to make the girls feel comfortable that they're not the only one and to, to come forward and talk to the medical team so I agree with what the the ladies have said there
0: very <laughs> okay, good um this is more just a general question about endometriosis just mm-hmm. because it is awareness raising mm-hmm. um what are the kind of common symptoms that women might present with or Mm -hmm. even if people are listening back home and they think well maybe my cycle's not so normal or I'm getting period pain what are the things they should be looking out for and what are the things that they might have to manage going forward if they do get that diagnosis
6: yeah definitely so um I think it's as we mentioned before it's a very common thing both across sports and in the general population and um Common symptoms vary between people, so um, there's no one set of symptoms that any person might experience. Certainly someone can have fairly debilitating period pain, so we know people are often missing school, missing work. Um, Their training in an elite sports environment might be limited because of these symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also very common to experience bladder and bowel issues as well, so people might be having pain related to their bladder, filling or urinating. Um, They might be having some bowel issues, including pain as well so Hmm. a broad range of things and as Mel mentioned earlier fatigue is often something that we see so being mindful of this um certainly if people out there in the community are experiencing period pain that's impacting their daily function they're not able to go to work they're not able to um be involved in their normal activities that's definitely something worth mentioning to a trusted health professional because um with endometriosis we know that the average diagnosis is around 7 to 12 years so Mm, it takes a long time for these things to get picked up and the more that we can promote that amongst the community the better yeah. Do you yeah. think
3: it's, this could be a naive perspective, but do you think it's common for people to not see the connection between the work of a physio and pelvic symptoms?
6: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I think that's where um, we are working as a profession harder and harder to keep promoting what we do and um, explaining to people what we do. Because even those that do know about it, there can sometimes be a bit of a mystery around what we actually do mm. um but yeah we often have people coming into the clinic saying i had no idea physios deal with this thing so mm. it is worth um knowing and it's where we need to keep spreading the word around to other health professionals mm. and um even among sports teams and stuff like that as well mm. yeah, yeah, cause that's it's not, a real
5: yeah. specialist area um or pelvic health because it can be women or men mm. and i think that's important to remember as well but Um, our pelvic health physios they're amazing like it's out of my scope as a sports physio or a musculoskeletal physio I definitely need to refer on to a specialist uh, pelvic health physio um, because it's a huge area Mm. and yeah they're amazing I guess that's
3: something where elite athletes like AFLW players can get that connection quicker I suppose Mm. because they have someone like you at their disposal to Mm -hmm. connect the dots for them yeah Yeah. Mm. hopefully
6: well,
3: that's probably a good a good segue to just, Ellie, can you give people
0: a sense of what a pelvic floor physiotherapist actually does? Yeah,
6: absolutely. Um, so people might come to us for any number of reasons. As mentioned before, pain's often something that we see, so pelvic pain in any which way can present in lots of different um, areas of someone's life we might see issues with bladder and bowel function Um, usually part of our assessment would um, be looking at the pelvic floor function so Mm -hmm. these muscles are muscles just like everywhere else in our body Um, they're postural muscles they're involved in activity they're involved in our sexual function they're involved in our um, bladder and bowel function and continence mechanisms so we're looking at ensuring that someone has a healthy pelvic Floor, Um, and this often means looking at whether or not they can contract it well Mm -hmm. and whether or not they're strong in their pelvic floor, but certainly also looking at how well they can relax the muscles. So, we often see in people that have experienced pain that they might have what we would call an overactive or a tense pelvic floor, and this for lots of people is a brand new concept. Um, But again, if we come back to different muscles in the body, you don't want your calf muscle on all the time when you're trying to run, it needs to be able to relax when when it should be relaxed and then work efficiently when it needs to Hmm. exactly the same goes for the pelvic floor muscles so in people with have that have pain we're often looking at down regulating those muscles or what we would call down training and teaching them how to release and relax
0: um i'm guessing i'm not wrong by saying general community understanding of these issues is probably pretty low um including endometriosis pelvic floor training etc um what would you say the AFL population is like in terms of their knowledge of even just cycles and how to use the pill to manage pain or, yeah, and all of those issues, is it similar to general population,
5: better, worse? Yeah, in terms of the cycles and stuff, we some of our girls track, some don't. It's not, for us, compulsory. As I said, we track other things, more symptom-based stuff, mm which other clubs, I'm sure, do as well. Um, Yeah, but some of our girls do it anyway Mm. because they're interested. Mm. Yeah.
6: Yeah, and certainly across the general population, I would say that's the same. You get some people that know everything about every single day of their cycle and some people that don't really even know they have a cycle. So... um, (laughs) It's certainly, yeah, it's definitely our job on all levels to keep educating about these things and, uh, you know, that's obviously happening more and more, but we do still have a lot of work to do in that space, I'd say.
5: Education is key. That's my opinion. Like let's give the girls or the AFLW girls as much upskilling as we can. Let's support them the best way we can in every facet and then we're doing a really good job. Mm. What's your perspective on that, Brooke?
4: Yeah, um, on the education thing, um, that's massive. So I just wanted to share a few things from there. there. has been some research being done with AFLW players and also other female football codes by um, researchers at La Trobe, Anthea Clark and Dr. Pip Inge. So they kind of surveyed the AFLW players in terms of their knowledge around their menstrual health um, and what they do um, to maybe manage that and do they think it like affects their performance. So mm-hmm. um, there is a clear knowledge gap there and there is also like a, I guess a thirst for like more knowledge in these area so um they basically gave them like a menstrual health test and I think less than 20 percent would have passed that <laughs> test about just what is a normal what is a normal period um what is what um yeah what things should they look out for and um yeah, there, there was low knowledge there. Um, and then a third said that they have to, like, adapt their training um, because of, of symptoms. Um, and they a third also said it reduced their performance
1: mm. as
4: well. So, um, yeah, there was only, I think, yeah, one one third had regular periods as well. So 50% of the players also, their periods change with um, increasing in training loads. So there's a lot of, uh, yeah, issues mm. with the mental health out there and also uh, um some lack of knowledge there as well.
0: Mm so um what promp- what prompted that research that was done independently to um the yeah, AfRW? So-
4: yeah, so the um Anthea since the inception of AFLW, W really and this is like a interest area of hers, they've always they've been doing this in the background. Um mm-hmm. and I know like the mental health stuff being the media more recently, but this has been going on for a little while. But um they are trying to get more players to fill out that survey. So if any players out there are listening <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: Good recruiting uh, club.
4: Yeah, yeah. They're also trying to get male coaches as well. So they're doing like a, um, yeah, surveying of male coaches to try and understand what they know and what they, like what they need support in as well. So again, if there's any male coaches who coach female teams out there. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> It's a, it's actually an important point because I imagine that might be an awkward conversation for players to bring up with a coach if it's a man. Yeah.
4: Maybe? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. My first year at Melbourne, yeah, they just like, one girl came went up to the coach. She was telling me and she's like, I've got my period and rah, 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 rah. And he was just like, didn't know what to say. And like over the last few years, like they've learnt to, to know what to say and the girls know to... Um yes yeah talk to the medical team, but also like knowing that the medical team is then going to go and talk to the coaches. So Mm. um, they don't necessarily have to have the direct conversation with the coach. It's great if they do feel comfortable and the coaches do feel comfortable. All that is kind of communicated within the team as well.
0: Mm. What were you going to say, Mel?
5: I was just going to say that as the medical team, I'd (laughs) I'd say that we're the first port of call for most of the players, which is awesome and great, and I want to be that person. Um, But I definitely hear it all
0: yeah 100 percent. okay so there's no shyness around <laughs> nah. you that's good though isn't it's it? good
5: it's great love you girls <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm imagining that might be partly because it is easier to talk to another woman sometimes as yeah well. I
5: think so I think that's like how powerful is that like mm. that's what excites me about women's sport is like we're the pioneers of this sport and it's great that women are working with other women mm. I think how amazing mm. I love it mm. it's, it's what to gets it me out, out of bed every day
0: yeah (laughs) love it do you think though that um it doesn't sound like it's standard practice though at every club to kind of track this stuff or take these surveys like it sounds like that's actually more of a research direction
5: yeah I think every club is probably doing their own version of everything I think actually, um, the clubs or the, the medical teams, I've met lots of the other physios from all the other clubs and everybody is actually so proactive and so caring. Mm. And I think actually probably every club is doing their own version of things. I think it's still an emerging space. This is the AFLW is really new. There's lots happening. There's lots of priorities and it's really hard to nail down every priority. Um, for this sport it's going to keep emerging and evolving over the next five and ten years and we will get better and we will make mistakes Mm. but I think everyone's like on the same page really Mm. and I think it's good and exciting and it will continue to get better yeah
3: how much do you draw from what other sports are doing with their women around the world
5: as much as we can definitely like I know Brooke and I are always um watching what other sports are doing we um we love hearing about what other sports are doing and I think the AFLW want to implement those things if we can. Um, again, it just comes back to time and resource and it, we just have to remember every staff member working in the AFLW also work full-time outside of that. So, like, I work full-time <laughs> and then go to the club at night and do training and go to the games on the weekend. And that, I know Brooke's the same. Um, mm. She works full time. She's doing her PhD, and she's going to the club at night and on the weekend. So, yeah, it, there's limitations in how fast we can do stuff because we're only human, mm. and that's a reality yeah. that I
3: think a lot of fans or people that are looking onto the sport need to realise. It's not just the players that are part time; it's a lot of the staff too. Or all of the staff, yeah, majority
5: of the staff, yeah, part time, yeah. It's and ridiculous. we're doing this as uh, love. Yeah. yeah, this is yeah. because we are passionate about women's sport mm. um, and I think that's what gets missed in the narrative a lot of the time. Mm. Yeah, we're expected to be behaving like fully elite programs and it's important to remind everyone that it's a semi-elite at this stage mm. and we only have so much capacity. Mm. So yeah, I, I have to deal with what's happening at the time as well with our players, so mm. Sometimes things get put on the back burner, and that's just the way it is. Mm. But we do our best. We're thinking, we're trying to make it better every every year.
2: Yeah,
5: yeah. Um, We have had a little bit of media interest
0: recently Mm. around the whole idea of menstrual cycles and targeting training to people's cycles, and you know. Anyway, it seems to me, from what we've discussed, that maybe that's a fair way off as far as AFLW is concerned.
4: Um, yeah, like you do. You do have to be wary, I would say, of what you read in the media. Mm. Uh, it's no offence to um, media professionals. But, um, yeah, like there's been a lot of hype about menstrual cycle and um, looking at the, I guess, the link with particularly ACL mm. injury risk. So um, just to lay the evidence out there for everyone, um, the evidence is really limited in terms of um, a particular phase in your menstrual cycle being linked to ACL injury. What they have shown that is... In that, in certain periods, um, there are, there's an increased laxity in the ligaments, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that um, that directly correlates with an increased ACL injury risk. As we've discussed, there's so many different factors that play mm. into someone's risk of ACL. So I don't think we can be going. Hold on, girls. You're um, at this time, so everyone just stay off the field this week um, because that's that's not the the answer. Um, yeah. And people like a black and white answer, and um, to put something on. Um, oh, it's just it's just females, and that's just how we're we're made. So I think we mm. should be focusing our efforts on things that we can control. It's not to say that um, menstrual health is not important because we know that it's really important, and that if if girls are not having normal periods, I think looking at those kind of things are more um, important than mm. looking at their, where they are at in their cycle and tracking that, um, because we know that that can affect their general health and well-being and their performance. So mm. that's the menstrual cycle stuff. And then I don't know if you wanted to talk about the pill, because a lot of girls are like thinking, oh, should I go on the pill? Because that has made, that's been in the media about... <laughs> that might reduce your injury risk. Did you want to talk about that as well?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. I love that you're laying all this out because, for me, the problem is when it goes down that path of, oh, women's bodies just aren't yeah. made for football, it's their hormones. It's why they're doing all their and ACLs. For so. me,
5: as a physio in this space, I will fight yeah. for our right or I don't think that is the right narrative. I yeah. think, yeah, we have to be really careful going down that track. Yes, like Brooke said, it's important and we need to consider the menstrual health stuff and we may track periods in the future, but it'll be part of the picture. It Mm. won't be the only thing. I think if we're at the point where we're saying to girls, you can't take the field because you're at this point in your cycle, I think that's really (laughs) dangerous. Yeah. I don't think that's good. Uh, no. That's from my perspective. Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem to be scientifically based either. Yeah. And that's, we just have to sort out the hype from the reality, mm. I think. It could yeah. also lead to
3: dangerous health choices on the player's part, just in an effort to stay on the field as yeah. well. Yeah.
5: Right? It just comes back to knowing your athletes. And if your athlete's feeling really fatigued for whatever reason, uh, work or general life or whatever, we adapt at that time no matter what. Mm. So we just roll with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But do tell us, Brooke, what about the pill and what...
4: Um, oh, the pill, yes. So there was one study, I think it was put out there in the media a fair bit. Um, the title of the study was um, Contraceptive Pill Protective Against ACL Injuries. Right. So, so people that just read the title and the abstract, um, <laughs> then they take that away and go, well, I should go on the pill. Um, but if you read the hard... Um, the hard work of, of this researcher who's gone to the effort of writing the, the whole article um they do discuss uh, a limitation in the the discussion is that um so basically they took 100 acl injuries um looks back at these injuries and asked those players whether they were on the pill or not at the time and what they found was those that weren't taking the pill there was say 550 injuries and those that were taking the pill. There was 400 injuries, so more injuries um, in those that weren't taking the pill. Mm-hmm. But then if you look at the, that group of people in that study, um, all those people in there were predominant. The injuries were um, dominated by girls in age 15 to 19. So two problems with that is they are a high risk group for ACL injury, and they're also 15, 16 year olds that may not be on the pill. So that might have been why. Mm. The results were skewed that way. So you just need to be really careful of, like, yeah, um, the research is out there. It's great and it's good to have awareness and be exploring these things, but we need to also, um, yeah, not be reacting to it either.
2: Mm.
0: Is that something you find yourself doing, like myth busting for the <laughs> players and other staff?
4: Well, yeah, I guess back to Mel's point, it is about education. So, like, yeah, we've obviously had a few at Melbourne this year and, and they're asking those questions like, um, yeah, I was on my period or I was two days from my period. Um, do you think it's bad? And so there's that fear. Mm. Um, around that and a real education piece. And, yeah, it's, it, as Mel said, it's trying to fit it into the, the program. So as soon as they come into pre-season, it's, you're, you're in um, getting strapped, you're in doing football meetings, you're in training, then you're in the gym, you're in recovery, you're eating. So, like, it's trying to, yeah, all the time pushing to, to extend the season so we can have more time with the players to to educate about some of these things because it's also information overload. They're they're coming in and they're getting thrown all this information about football and Mm. strength and conditioning and just adding information, information. I think sometimes clubs, are, yeah, they're prioritising what they need to talk about. Mm.
3: And there are other factors that often get thrown up when talking about ACL and the injuries that affect women the hot weather, the harder grounds, this sort of stuff, how much of an impact, uh, obviously it's a lot of small things going into one, but can all those things be considered alongside everything else going into the ACL kind of issue?
4: Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head, there's lots of small things going into one. Um, We know the big things for injury risk are a previous ACL injury um, and also um, there's a little bit of family history as well. is probably the next biggest risk factor and then after that you have a whole big list of, of things and you mentioned the, I think the... The ground surfaces and shoes um, is something we could talk about as well. There's the neuromuscular control, so how kind of I guess well they can control their their body movements. Um, there's yeah the timing factor um, coming from different sports. Um, we don't really understand like fatigue well enough at the moment in terms of the influence on ACL injury risk. Um, yeah, the list could could go on, um, but I think. Yeah, the ground stuff I think is probably up there in term, in my head in terms of thing something that we should be looking into. So, um, just for people um, people's awareness, I guess it's the shoe itself, and it's also the surface or the grass um, and the interface between those two that can create kind of, I guess, an increased traction. And, and players will report that yeah, their boot they felt their boots get stuck mm. in the grass and then they've tried to move in an opposite direction and yeah, it's it's definitely a factor in some ACL injuries and then ones where they're landing awkwardly from a contest, then it's clear that that wasn't a factor. So I think each club and each league and each sport has got to look at the injury mechanisms and what are the trends that they're seeing at that particular time or over that particular time period. So um, I think that's something that AFL are very much aware of um, and looking at um, the, the timing of the season um, in terms of the climate conditions in summer here in Australia. But we also, I think, need to probably start looking at um, shoes as well. We really don't understand um, the different um, shoes that are available to the women and then what types of, I guess, um, studs and blade configurations are best for the surfaces that the women are playing on.
0: Mm. Well, and the shoes are usually not made for women's feet either, are they?
5: Shrink it and pink it. <laughs> what that that like what was that? that? Shrink it and pink it. Make it small and make it pink, and then it's for a woman. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I love I it. Think, yeah, well, we... Well, there actually is. So there's yeah, two there is one company. And mm. Ida Sports, um,
4: who have got a female-specific laugh. So if you're a female football player, um, check out those two shoes because they are. Um, they do fit like a glove for um, a female foot, so they're definitely comfortable, and that's what everyone says. With shoes, is the best thing is comfort. Like if you're a player out there, they just have to be comfortable because if they're not comfortable, you will change the way that you you land and and move. So mm. um, that would be my biggest piece of advice.
1: We do uh, have a little bit more um, advice from that interview, um, a few more minutes that we've just had to cut short for today's show because we've got so much for you and so much to discuss here on Kick Like a Girl. So do um, head to the Kick Like a Girl socials um, and that interview will be up um, in the next couple of days. That's Kate O'Halloran and Gemma Bastiari speaking with Melissa Haverfield from North Melbourne Football Club, Ali Harding from Inner North Physiotherapy and Brooke Patterson uh, from uh, Melbourne Football Club, uh, at uh, their development coach and also a La Trobe PhD. You are listening to Kick Like a Girl on 3RRR. My name's Tess and I am anchoring in the studio um, while uh, your regular host, Kate O'Halloran, joins us on the phone. And we are going to um, hear uh, a post match interview uh, now. Kate, do you want to tell us a little bit about this?
2: Yeah, so, hello, firstly. <laughs> Sorry, Welcome wasn't back. sure if I didn't say hi again or not. Um, Emily Fox, uh, obviously when we realized, well, didn't know that the season wasn't going ahead, um, managed to hook up a phone call with Ali Gavellis to... Uh, we were hoping to have on next week's show, so it's a real pity that we can't, obviously. But I uh, was able to catch her briefly post match uh, to talk about the game against the Pies. I know circumstances have changed significantly, but I thought I'd give everyone the chance to hear uh, how Ellie was feeling after that game.
7: This is M Fox from Deep in the Kick Like a Girl bunker this weekend. And fortunately, even though I can't be at the game today, I've been very lucky to have a chat with Ellie Gavalis from the North Melbourne Football Club. Hello, how are you going? Very good. How do you feel after that win just yeah. happened today?
8: Yeah, we're feeling pretty good. Um, obviously, it came right down to the last minute, so um, it was pretty stressful at the time. But no, feeling very, very good.
7: Are you, are you, is, is your feet back on the ground yet? <laughs> yeah,
8: definitely. Yeah, <laughs> they are. No, it was. Um, you know, it was a it was a very tough game. Um, Colin would definitely bought bought the fight, but um, no, we're we're really happy with how how it ended up
7: now this is your first year of footy this was your first final and you managed to kick your first goal today what was going through your head yeah. when you had to go back and have a ping at the goal from about 40 oh, out
8: yeah it was it was, a, it was an interesting one I knew that there was um I knew there wasn't a whole lot of time left um and I, so I thought you know I'm just going to go back and try and back myself here and um kick it as hard as I can so that's what I did and um yeah I'm pretty happy that it went through obviously
7: so you reckon that's about your range? That was that was about all you could give it?
8: I reckon that's I reckon that's my range. Yep. Yep. I reckon if it was any further out I
7: probably would have passed it off, but um I reckon I was just in range. No, it didn't look like missing and it jeez, I'll tell you what, it set what you just needed to uh to get over the line. So that must feel really special.
8: Yeah, definitely. It was um it, yeah, it was a special moment. Um, obviously, I mean, the main thing was I just wanted to get anyone to get a goal in that time to just get us um, six more points ahead. So um, it did feel special and um,
7: obviously it paid off. Spent most of the day running around in the engine room pushing forward a little bit. But alongside yep. you in that midfield, you've got Carney and Riddell and uh, Bruton and Garner. Like, how does it feel to walk into your first year of football and just run around in the middle of the ground with players like that, that calibre? Yeah, it's pretty um pretty special.
8: I couldn't ask for a better midfield to be playing with. Um, you know, all of them are just absolute machines. Like each one of them individually, and I think as together we're all gelling really well together, which is good. Um, and then just the rest of the team, obviously it's a whole team um, effort. So yeah, I'm stoked to be playing at North, and especially in that midfield. Yeah,
7: there's quite a few players that aren't exactly the tallest players, like yourself <laughs> and Bruton and Ashfordell uh and uh yeah daria is not tall is there like a little bit of solidarity for the for the little guys compared to your carnies and your kate gillespie joneses and your jazzy garners who are you know big body players in the gut fair?
8: yeah i mean yeah you're exactly right there's a few of us that aren't um aren't the tallest but yeah so we obviously our shorties get around each other but um you know we all we all get around each other so um
4: i guess we don't really
8: think about it too much but um I guess, being short sure lets us get in and under a little bit more, which is good, um, and then give it give it to our tolls on on the
7: outside. So next week, you're going to play either the winner of Carlton or Brisbane in Mm -hmm. Melbourne, but how do you approach this game now, like, in the current climate, we don't know how everything's going to work, like, how are you guys going to bunker down at North Melbourne to ensure that you can get back out in the field on Saturday?
8: Yeah, look, we're just going to basically just keep doing what we're doing, we know, um, and have full trust in our processes, um, and know that if we just keep doing what we're doing, we'll continue to hopefully get the results, Um, and we've got a lot of faith in our group, so... I think, you know, I know there's a lot going on at the moment in the world, but we're just going to keep, keep
7: trying to um, stay on track and do what we do. Well, I've got to say for people like me who aren't allowed to leave the house for a couple of weeks, the fact that we <laughs> yeah. can uh, watch you girls run around on footy and put in nail-biting, yeah. heart-stopping, incredible games of footy like that, I tell you what, we really appreciate it. <laughs> oh, that's
8: good. That's good.
7: Thank um, you so much for chatting with us, Ellie, and I no look forward to watching you hopefully kick a few more snags next week. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much
8: for having me.
1: And if only we did have uh, more AFLW to watch, but unfortunately we don't as the season has been cut short. That was Ali Gavalis talking to Emily Fox here on Kick Like a Girl. And at this point uh, in the show, uh, we normally hear a bit of this. Smash the- Uh, And we dip into some of the off-field malarkey of AFLW. And this week, there's really quite a lot to cover. Um, The competition has been abruptly finished. There will be uh, no Premiership Cup awarded. Kate, the really big question, I think, for so many people is, should the AFL have called it even earlier and held the grand final this weekend just gone? Or Um. the weekend...
2: Yeah, well, it's sort of the million-dollar question and it's a lot easier in hindsight, isn't it? Um, I think the thing to say is that it was one of the options on the table. So the AFL did put a number of options to the players and one was to hold a grand final last weekend, um, this weekend just gone between North and Frio, but ultimately the players voted um, their preference was for a rejigged final series with the four teams that we saw over the weekend. Um, Something interesting I saw actually was Emma Kearney uh, in the Age said that um, the players were told after they beat Collingwood that they would have to prepare to play possibly a prelim on Thursday, and then a grand final on Sunday, as in this week. (laughs) So they were trying everything they could, I think, to wrap it up. But um, it's just happened a week too late, really. That's just the really unfortunate. About this.
1: And have um, many of the players sort of spoken up as yet about how they're feeling in that respect?
2: Uh, look, there's not been a heap. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, Emma Carney, again, I mean, she just said, look, it has, you know, it's no doubt very disappointing, um, but at the end of the day, and this is a quote she said, we've got people dying from coronavirus. I mm. don't think Australia's been taking this seriously. You know, if we've still got people going to Bondi Beach, um, footy happening in the background, then maybe we're not taking this seriously enough and you know obviously we're disappointed but um you know good leadership by government and AFL to suspend well cancel the games in the case of AFLW uh and Cara Antonia from Prio really echoed the same sentiment obviously said she was really deflated the players made a lot of sacrifices um but you know and well key was she said to not have a premier at the end of the season feels like a bit of a waste. um and yeah her partner ebony antonio interestingly tweeted no leadership after the announcement and she didn't believe it <laughs> so.
1: mm. okay and there's the hope um with uh the sort of huge response that's required to to coronavirus this year is that you know with hopefully this is a one in 50 or one in 100 year um, situation, and then we get another 100 years of AFLW after missing two weeks this year.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think the future's pretty bright. Um, look, Freya can feel aggrieved, I think, not to have been awarded the premiership. They were undefeated. I think probably you'll find all the North players or you know club officials wouldn't be happy with that, but I think probably the rest of the competition would have thought that was pretty fair. But... Um, Anyway, we forge ahead. We have to. We have to sign off, don't we?
1: Yes, we do. Because with that, it very strangely we say farewell to AFLW um, for 2020, and we say farewell to kick to kick like a girl on Triple R. So, congratulations on a great season, Kate, um, to you and Emily as well. Um, and no doubt, whenever footy is back, you'll be back here on Triple R. Yeah. Well,
2: um, I should probably say my Oscar. Thank you, before we sign out. But, um, yeah, just big thanks to you, Tess, today for filling in. I really appreciate it. Um, But thank you to everyone who tuned in this year. Your support's been phenomenal, as always. Thanks to everyone who participated in our footy comp, too. I was going to do a bit of the suspense build-up, but we may as well just cut to the chase and say Claire Flynn. Blue Bagger won it on 33, so congratulations.
1: Congratulations, Claire. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and
2: thanks, Emily, for co-hosting pretty much every week. Thanks to all our guests for this week, um, Brooke, Melissa, Ali. Thanks to Ali Gavellas from North Melbourne for doing that post-match. Thank you to all our other guests and co-hosts. Return visitor Gemma Bastiani, who helped with that pre-record. A huge thanks to my partner, into Masters, and also Emily Lonsdale. They edit the audio every week since it also does the gifts, et cetera. Pretty much everything I don't do. And um, huge thanks to Beck, Elizabeth, and, yeah, all the wonderful people at Triple R for giving us this slot to talk about AFLW each week. It's been a pleasure, even though it's been a very abrupt end.
0: This is presenter Cato Halloran. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Kick Like a Girl, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R during the AFLW season. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Kick Like a Girl Facebook page, Twitter, or website.